Welcome back to the Movie Bible Podcast. This week you've got myself, Colin, and I'm joined by Nick as we break down the opening weekend for It Chapter 2. And remember, as always, you can check us out online at moviebiblereviews.com. All right, so breaking down this week's top five, no surprise in first place is It Chapter 2 with 91 million domestic followed a long way off by Angel is Fallen at the number two spot with 6 million. And third place is Good Boys with 5.39 million, followed by The Lion King, which is sitting in fourth place at 4.193 million this weekend. And Overcomer rounds out the top five with 3.75 million. Um, so it's pretty predictable box office weekend in terms of performance um rankings so it chapter two was you know a little bit of a a gamble i guess in terms of where it would place but everything else is just kind of performing predictably the positioning is is pretty average nobody expected angel has fallen to to beat it this weekend so (laughs) it is a weekend at the box office that's that's pretty much it yeah, not a lot going on this week except at chapter two. Uh, this is yeah, it's kind of one of those weird times where last weekend nothing came out because it was Labor Day weekend, and then after that, um, it chapter two kind of planted its flag as a big tent pole coming. So then every other studio basically says, "All right, we're not touching that, so we're going to wait till the next week." So we actually have a lot of films coming out next week. So yeah, there wasn't wasn't really much new going on besides um, it chapter two. Yeah, I mean, it opened up to 185 million worldwide, so it's about a 50-50 split in terms of domestic worldwide performance, uh, which is, for a horror movie, this is ridiculously phenomenal, uh, because horror normally stays pretty low comparatively in the uh, the opening weekend, but this is also Stephen King, so he's got a lot more of a push behind it. And again, it chapter one, we talked about last week, it grossed a little over 700 million at the box office two years ago. So I have no doubt that it chapter two will be pretty much on pace with that, maybe a little bit lower, but it's still making a lot of money. Yeah, I think it's probably going to lag behind a little bit. I, so the, the, the first uh, it, its opening weekend was 123 million, made it was a big deal. It set all of these set September records and just like just burst onto the scene. So we have a 91 million opening. So that's a it's a bit of a gap there, about 32 million. Um, we'll see when the actuals come in uh, later this week. Um, but yeah, it's I think a lot of this just comes with the length of the movie, which I mean we'll talk in spoilers later on about the, pro- the other problems with the with the length in terms of just the narrative of the story. But yeah, this less less show times this time around less time around and. Yeah, it's it's tough to really unless you're Avengers Endgame, it's really tough to throw out a three hour movie and kind of just go nuts at the box office. But yeah, you can't complain. Hundred hundred and eighty million worldwide budget was right around sixty to seventy million, so um, it's already in the black <laughs> after its first weekend. So everything after this is gravy. So yeah, it's I would imagine it's probably gonna end up somewhere around five hundred million, six hundred million, maybe five fifty somewhere in there. But I mean. It's a horror movie, which, I mean, even though this is a little more expensive than typical horror movies, like they're always a good bet no matter what, because you can always find ways to keep that cost down and blood, fake blood is pretty cheap. (laughs) So, yeah, it's it's 
it's another example of horror just being a great bet in the movie marketplace. Yeah, and so it is performing. <laughs> it's performed pretty well for a horror movie, and I'm sure we'll. I, I think it'll have a little bit longer legs than the average horror movie would, just because, you know, it is Stephen King and it is a uh, it like it, it's horror, but it's also got a lot of action adventure elements to it, and so I think those will help carry it. Um, a little bit longer than something like Ready or Not or, you know, even um, some of the, the other horror movies we saw earlier this year, like Us or or anything like that. Uh, longer legs than those had just because it, it is a little bit more of a blockbuster than your typical horror movie would be. Yeah, I agree there as well. I mean, there's always so much intrigue with Stephen King adaptations. I mean... It's, he's just a really good writer. That's just, it's as simple as that. And so, yeah, even like next week too, we have a few movies coming out. Like we have like Hustlers, which is the new Jennifer Lopez um, movie, which actually looks kind of fun. It's getting pretty good early buzz. So that'll be a fun thing. And then we have like The Goldfinch, which is maybe like the first big possible Oscar contender to come out. And Britney Runs a Marathon comes out, uh, releases wide after a few weeks in limited release. But like these movies just are just entirely different from it chapter two. There's not a lot of um, audience crossover there like at all. Um, so yeah, you probably expect this movie to actually drop pretty decently next week. Um, that, like we've mentioned before, that horror drop is right around 60% week to week. But I, I mean, even though the movie's really long, uh, people love it. It's a generational story. Just going back to the, the TV movie um, years ago. So I, I expect this movie to go around 50% drop next week, and then it should should be off to the races. And, yeah, it's, it's got to make a ton of money. Warner Brothers is starting off the fall really solidly. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, I mean, it's not facing anything really blockbustery in nature for a little while, so it'll probably stick around the top five um, as we move on through the rest of the month. Um, and then as far as everything else that's currently in the top five, I don't think it's going to be sticking around too much longer. Um, the strongest performer here, obviously, is going to be Lion King, which is just a little under a million dollars short of $1.6 worldwide. Uh, it's sitting at the number seven spot all time. So out of every movie that's ever been released, it is the seventh highest grossing. It passed Furious 7 and The Avengers uh, within the past week and a half, two weeks. And I doubt I would be extremely surprised if it managed to earn another $72 million and, and pass Jurassic World. But I think for now, it's it's pretty solid here at the number seven spot. Yeah, it's I still find it crazy that this like it doesn't I haven't really talked to anybody that seems to like this movie <laughs> and it's just still doing crazy business, which is just really funny. And just the power of the original Lion King just rearing its head once again. It's yeah, it's. Really, really interesting stuff there. And I guess one other note that I found really interesting was just um, Overcomer. Um, the latest uh, faith-based movie is actually doing really good business. Um, I think this is kind of, this is another example of just um, marketing to your to your audience, like really strongly. Um, so these movies are kind of like horror movies. They're always really cheap to make. Um, so Overcomer was about $5 million and it's, quietly made almost 25 million um, domestically. So, I mean, all those group sales and big church groups and things like that, like they really do show up in, in the, um, 
in the ledger in a strong way there. So that's an that's another interesting point. It's a little tiny, um, decent success here into the fall. Yeah. So that wraps up the top five for the most part. There's <laughs> uh, just not a lot going on. So we will get into some more interesting and uh, actually relevant things. Um, so we're going to be talking It Chapter 2 spoilers. So if you haven't seen It Chapter 2, now would be a good time to go watch it and then come back and listen to us break it open. So um, first, let's just go. What did you think of It Chapter 2? Um, yeah, so it's it's really interesting because I actually tweeted this right after I saw the movie where the, the second movie made me very nostalgic for the first movie which is weird because it came out two years ago um because it's it seems like it's really playing off of like how big of a runaway success the first it was with all these callbacks to things that happened in the past and i know that's kind of how the book works out too but it really feels like there's like a little bit of like a fan service element to this movie where it's like i remember how important and big such a big deal that the first it was back in 2017 and we're kind of we're playing off of that as well um and hey that's smart you gotta do what you gotta do there but um yeah this it's really tough because i think there's a lot of great stuff in this movie um i we'll, we'll get into it i'm sure in further detail i think bill Hader is just incredible <laughs> in this movie um i mean we kind of saw with barry like he's clearly like a fantastic actor but i think this is if i might be wrong but this is like his first really big movie role where everyone like on a big scale where everyone's like oh shit bill Hader, he's really great um so yeah he's awesome um the cast i mean the cast is great you know james mcavoy and jessica chastain and i think it's really solidly cast all around but um yeah this movie is just it's three hours long um <laughs> that's just a lot um uh, the script is i think i really have a lot of problems with the script which we'll get into as well but yeah it's three hours long and takes about 30 minutes to get the gang back together again it you see um uh, Mike is just calling um, everybody on the phone, just one by one, telling them to come back to Derry, and they they finally get back, have their dinner, and then they have to split up again to find all their artifacts and go on their own personal journeys. So it felt like a lot of unnecessary uh, space used in that first half of the movie, and just didn't feel necessary. So um, yeah, it's I would have loved to see something maybe like a closer to the first day, like a two hour and 15 minute cut of this movie. I don't know how you would do that with all these like different elements, all these moving parts um, going on. But yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really, it's quite a mixed bag on my end. Yeah. I think last week we were talking about the first 30 minutes of John Wick chapter three and how that's the most entertaining, greatest thing to ever happen to movies. And I feel like <laughs> the first 30 minutes of it, chapter two are completely on the opposite end of the spectrum from that oh absolutely it's just so much exposition and covering basically the events of the first movie and, and literally you have to see mike call everyone <laughs> and there are what seven of them <laughs> that he has to call and so it just takes forever to get started and then once it gets started it it really works at some points and then it completely doesn't in others and i i liked parts of this movie but as a whole i i definitely think it chapter one is the the better half and i think this movie does a lot of interesting things at times but then it's just stumbling over itself at others and and really drags in the middle and by the end of the three hours i was just ready to get out like i was i was so done <laughs> yeah i was i was right there with you i was so tired at the end of this movie 
it just it, we'll get into it as well with uh, what my feelings are on Pennywise in general. But yeah, like as you mentioned, like this, like there's just so much dead space in here, and it's like that when Mike is just calling every single person in this group. It's done in the most like unimaginable way. It's it's like textbook like like screenwriting 101 it's like oh like what has this person been up to for like the past 10 years and we're going to show them at work or what they're doing and then all oh, they get they get a call and their life gets turned upside down like it's just it's just very standard and there's just not really much to it um so yeah it's like and then obviously um stanley like takes his own life which is just um i don't know it was just it just felt very weird considering how it was very the rest of the the movie leading up to that point was just very all right we're gonna get to this point and then this this point and move from there it just it felt weird in terms of pacing um but then yeah i think this group gets together again and um at that dinner it's just bill Hader is just on fire <laughs> like he's just going <laughs> jokes joke after joke just really messing with eddie and it really feels like they let uh, bill Hader just run wild um with improv and he's making fun of eddie's mom and just oh it is it is really good and it's it's one of the few weirdly one of the few moments in this movie where, where like all these really talented actors get to play off each other and just and like that's in that one moment it's kind of where you feel like the movie recaptured like the group camaraderie that was in the first movie because um, I, mean, I have my problems with the first it but it's like you love the kids and they're really great characters and the, the, they won't quite dive into that as as much in the in this movie I think other other than Bill Hader, I mean, it's just James McAvoy is just a good actor, so he's just kind of telling his lines, but I can't really, like, gleam anything else from his character or his growth. Or I mean, they really try to with trying to avenge his um, Georgie and getting over his personal guilt, but it's it feels pretty flat. And same with the other arcs as well. Um, I don't know. What did you think? Yeah, I think... Well, A, I really like that Bill Hader was finally able to work his Jabba the Hutt impression into a movie. <laughs> so that's that's officially part of Hollywood now. Um, but yeah, I think some of the arcs just feel really disjointed from where the characters were at when we saw them in It Chapter 1. And I mean, yeah, there's you know a 27-year gap, so obviously characters are going to grow and change a little bit, except for like... Half of them do, but then the other half of the gang still has the same issues they had when they were kids. So, like, Beverly after her big... Because I, I would say, other than Bill, she probably has the biggest character arc in It Chapter 1. And that was just this whole coming to terms with, like, hey, my dad's a creep, and I'm not going to be objectified like this anymore. And then she's, like, really just right back in that position, basically. And Eddie kind of does the same thing. And then you have Bill, who has a bunch of... Uh, I'd say you call it survivor's guilt uh, for the most part, and then yeah, feeling responsible yeah. for Georgie, which we, I guess we saw a little bit of in it chapter one, but it was more just his denying that Georgie was dead. And so it, I, I do. And I don't like that arc just because it wasn't really present. And then I'm sure we'll talk about uh, Richie a little bit later, but his arc um, seemed a little off at points, especially in like his relationship with Eddie and so yeah it's just really clunky at points and i mean you have a phenomenal cast uh specifically with james mcavoy and bill Hader and jessica chastain and then the other people um <laughs> but it just it never really 
came together quite like the first one did. Yeah, so the screenwriter on this one is Gary Doberman, and he's actually a very prolific, and he's he's been very quite successful. He's kind of in that in the same camp as James Wan for Warner Brothers, where he's he's kind of one of their guys as one of their screenwriters. He he uh, wrote and directed um, Annabelle Comes Home, which came out a few months ago, and he's he's been involved in a lot of the Conjuring universe, and he. I think he co-wrote um, the script for it for it chapter one after Carrie Fukunaga uh, left the project. But yeah, so he's the only one writing this screenplay this time. And I've, I mean, his screenplay style, I would say is, it's just very Hollywood and standard kind of what we were um, kind of hinting at earlier. I mean, if you've seen, if you saw Annabelle comes home, it's just the very standard, like basically everything happens in a house. Um, <laughs> Just uh, demons come come in. There's some occasional pretty decent um, like set pieces, and but other than that, like it's just very like arch um, character work where it's like all these. It's like building off of these cliches that you've seen many many times again, and I feel like that's kind of him doing the the same thing here, where it's like the second act of this movie, where every character is off finding their own separate artifact. It just feels it just really drags, and it's the same. It's kind of like with the phone calls. It's the same kind of um, structure where someone goes off. They have a memory that they flash back to that's traumatizing. And then Pennywise jumps out, scares them for five seconds, and then disappears <laughs> with no reason. And then they shift to the next character. And that's like, what, like for an hour of this movie? And then they finally come back together again. It's, it's yeah, it's just really very tiring. <laughs> Yeah, it gets exhausting, and like they go through. I forget which character goes first, and you're like, okay, like that was that was interesting, and then it happens again. You're like, okay, are we we gonna see all seven of these? And yeah, you do. <laughs> and I think, yeah. <laughs> I think it's Bill. You actually see it twice, and or they they like split his up. But yeah, it it just the second um, act of it where they're all split up and and trying to conquer Pennywise on their own where he definitely has a chance to kill every single one of them and then doesn't because of plot. Um, it just really drags. Yeah. It's and even into the third act again, it's all about structure is the, is the theme of this conversation where it's, it's basically the same ending um, again, where they're in a dark cave trapped with Pennywise and he seems to have all this power and then they, then they all realize the power of belief and they kind of gang up on him and take away his power as a scary demonic entity. And then he gets scared and then he's defeated. So it's, it's basically the same thing again, where it's, I mean, it's like the whole movie, feels kind of like a retread where we're just kind of, it feels like it's, Oh, like all the great stuff was in with the kids where, which I mean, anyone you really talk to who's read the book and it's like, yeah, like the stuff with the kids is always better. And, we saw that in the, the TV film as well, but yeah, it just feels like we're they're just kind of here to end all of this without really doing anything new because it just kind of wraps itself up in like this kind of very very Hollywood like oh if we believe hard enough we can conquer our, our demons and that it rang pretty false to me in that sense. But um, other than that, like I would like to get to some positives at some point because I I do like a lot yeah. of stuff in this movie, but um like the one last gripe I have is I feel like Pennywise has been vastly underutilized in actually both of these films where um, 
it's just a lot. Of, it's it's. I've had my issues with jump scares in the past with a lot of these Conjuring and other Warner Brothers um, horror movies, but there's just a loud bang. Pennywise comes out. He's doing his maniacal giggle. Um, he, he's around for like maybe five, ten seconds, and then he just disappears on a whim. There's not really like a extended horror sequence, uh, which is really frustrating because it feels like Bill Skarsgård's doing a lot of great work. He's deranged. He's making his eyes cross-eyed. He's puffing out his lips to make him look all creepy. Like he's doing a lot of really good stuff. And I feel like like probably the one time where he got to – or maybe there's two times where he's really got to emote and act as Pennywise was – the the drain sequence with Georgie in the beginning of it chapter one and then also in the horror house in the first it when he just is when um I think it's Eddie who breaks his arm and he's just kind of messing with him and runs over and just starts laughing in his face where it's like it's like those two scenes are kind of like the only times we've got a chance to really see him just kind of do his thing and otherwise it's just like oh creepy clown um and then I'm gonna be weird and then leave for a little bit which is it's frustrating I feel like there's a lot more they could have done there yeah, he felt really gimmicky in this one. And, I mean, he kicks out the movie um, killing people. And then he has, like, the same move he uses three times over to bite some kid's head off. Um, that's, like, his thing in this movie. <laughs> and so he just he, he just feels a lot more gimmicky, especially in terms of how he interacts with the characters. Like, it gets really predictable with the second act again where they're just walking around and you're like, oh, well, they're seeing their childhood memory now. So where's Pennywise in this scene? And there's no real element of surprise. And I, I think it has done a decent job between the two movies of not using a ton of jump scares, but there was still a lot more attention in the first one. And I just didn't feel like that tension was here. And then the worst part for me was the fact that Pennywise is killed in the same manner as, uh, Cara Delevingne's character in Suicide Squad. And it just made me think of Suicide Squad. And that was where I clocked out. <laughs> yeah. Anything that makes you uh, think of Suicide Squad, it's probably not doing its job. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just really tough. I think there's a lot of, there's some really fun sequences in here. I mean, you mentioned that Pennywise is just biting off kids' heads, which is, I think that's kind of fun. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's depraved, but it's also like, oh, there's like no limits to what, this film can do and no one's really safe, which I think is kind of fun just for the internal logic of that's of the story. Um, but I think there's one, I think there's one really good horror sequence, which is the fun house sequence, which I really like. It's just really, it's really creative with the mirrors and James McAvoy is trying to track down the kid who he wants to save to kind of get over his survivor guilt from Georgie and he's banging it on all these walls. And then you just kind of see Pennywise just, Start, start toying with him and then he just starts bashing his own head into the glass to get to the kid and it's 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 one of the few times where the dread really gets to seep in and we have a little bit of an extended like little bit with Pennywise because otherwise it's like yeah he's hiding in a locker with and then scaring people and then he disappears or he's he turns into um Bev with uh with a demon head <laughs> who's on fire and then he just then it's over or it's 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 a lot of these just quick like jolts of energy, which might work for some people, but I, I much prefer horror when, um, I mean, the jump scares are fine, but it, it has to lead to like a, like somewhat of an extended sequence. And just that's when the dread really just pops up. And it's, I think that's a lot more fun as so, um, but yeah, the, 
the the um the mirror sequence I thought was really great, and I think that was probably my favorite scene in the entire movie, if I'm being honest. Yeah, and I think for me, Pennywise and the really like the his tension with the characters seemed to be the best when he wasn't on screen. Because there's a good chunk of this movie where he's just toying with them, like in the the Chinese restaurant, and when he's just really getting in Bill's head and like leaving him these messages and and keeps reminding him about this kid that he's gonna kill and like he he's doing his best work when he's not there because when he's there he's just trying to push the characters along so they can all come together and kill him basically, and I feel like Pennywise is probably this movie's weakest link even though he does have some good moments like there's one that's kind of this almost heartfelt scene um with this girl that has uh i'm assuming it's a birthmark or a burn of some kind and you see pennywise get to feign humanity for a little bit before he kills her and they seem to have like this little tender connection that's obviously a murder joke but um <laughs> it, 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 it works yeah it's it's really, yeah, it's like, that's maybe like one of the other, I mean, the reason I didn't mention that as well as for an extended fun bit with Pennywise is mostly because that's, it's kind of the same thing with um, um, Georgie and the drain, I felt like, because yeah. it's just, oh, like, let's have a nice conversation, like, let me disarm you. I mean, he had the whole conversation about popcorn in the first movie, how he loved popcorn so much. And this is just like, oh, I'm scary and no one loves me. So he's, he's trying to reel in um, the kid and then there's like, obviously a shocking dismemberment or death in both scenes uh, so it's yeah it's it felt pretty repetitive there but um wh why don't we let's like let's switch to the positives here i'm feeling i'm feeling pretty down um so um what was your who what what would you say was like the one character for you that really stood out was it bill Hader or is it someone else yeah it was bill Hader. i he like i don't i think they like they they took his arc sort of in a an interesting direction but also like it doesn't really make sense when it comes full circle at the end um but it's bill Hader. like he's having a good time he knows he's playing like this fun character and he's he's gonna lighten the mood in every scene and uh i really like just his pairing with uh finn wolfhard is is the kid version of him and i mean that they're the uh the funny version of uh brando and de niro in terms of two actors playing the same character. Like they, they just play really well <laughs> off of each other, despite never being in a scene together. And um, I mean, like Bill Hader is just great. Yeah. So is it, I'm, I'm having trouble re remembering is, does he have, it's, he's, there's, they hinted a possible um, relationship with Eddie, correct? It's not Stanley. Is yeah. That how, is that how it works? So yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was, interesting um i i, I kind of like that as like because richie in these two movies just kind of been like the foul mouth guy just to be like just to be foul mouthed but like i thought i mean i mean i kind of agree with you there where it feels a little manipulative in the end when he's like carving his name back in into the wood with like the the r plus e type of thing there and um but i did like how them hinting at a possible um romantic angle there was not really nice because it kind of shows that his foul mouth like persona is kind of is mostly just a front for like his real feelings and i thought that was kind of touching even though um like like you said doesn't quite work out in the end i feel like but i think that was like one of the few like true attempts at like some stronger emotional resonance in this movie 
Yeah, and I agree with that. It just seemed kind of weird with it being Eddie because it, you know, there was never really anything to hint at it in the first it, and they use like some of the flashback sequences to establish that, but it still honestly feels like there was more of that with Stanley. Um, it, it like if it was there with Eddie at all because you don't even, you don't even really see anything reciprocated on Eddie's end. It's just like ah, oh, I've. I've been in love with this kid for 27 years and I'm going to carve my name into a, the side of a bridge and <laughs> yeah. yeah, it just, it doesn't connect. Yeah. I, I definitely agree there. It feels like they're kind of rewriting, like they're rewriting like scenes and recontextualizing things to build some sort of like to look for some deeper character uh, involvement there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it, I really appreciate the effort because I just thought it was it was pretty thoughtful. Um, and we kind of get to like some of the other characters. Um, I I had never heard of Jay Ryan before, uh, who plays uh, adult Ben. Um, looks like he's done a lot of TV work previously, but it was kind of funny how he was just kind of hunk. He was hunk man, just look trying to look really attractive. I thought that was just really funny. <laughs> but yeah, he's not like they have they they're still working off of that. Um, that love triangle between him, Bill and uh, Bev. Um, and it's kind of like the flip side where they didn't really try anything new where it was just like, Oh, Bev can't remember. Um, she's got a little, she's got screenwriters amnesia, which is just, uh, <laughs> just really easy to kind of build uh, tension and between characters. Um, but yeah, other than the joke of, wow, he's attractive and he's not, um, he's not pudgy anymore. It's just, eh, it was okay there. Um, and then it's kind of, it's kind of the way I felt for just all these characters in general. Um, like Mike is or played by Isaiah Mustafa, who is the um, old spice guy. If people didn't know that uh, previously, he's just kind of um, exposition man. Um, just there to, to say, to forward the plot along. And yeah, it's, it's not great. The rest of the character work I thought could have been a lot better. Yeah, I definitely agree. Everybody else besides the three actors that you probably know by name, um, everybody else just feels like kind of a tag along. And I mean, they don't really change the deaths either from the original version. So I've never read the book, but the, the TV movie, um, Stan and Eddie are the ones that die. They die the exact same way. And they again, do that <laughs> here. And so I was a little disappointed by that as well. Cause you kind of knew it was coming and, I just feel like they could have done something a little bit different just because this is a remake and the original is pretty well received and pretty well loved. Yeah. It's funny that we're talking to realize we sw we just switched back to negatives again. Cause it's <laughs> this, this movie is, it's just frustrating, man. Like you just, you see all the great stuff in it and I think all the, it's funny cause all the great stuff is some of the flashbacks to the kids. I just think are just like wonderful. Um, and it's kind of funny cause you can see how, they're hiding that some of them have gone through like a little bit of a growth spurt. So they're trying to mess with them and make the hide that as much as possible, but they're just, they're just so great. And the, the kids are just all just really, really wonderful. Um, and so I think that's kind of where like a lot of the great stuff, um, for me comes in. Um, it's just, it's really sweet. I mean, even though if it's kind of manipulative and all these flashbacks, but it's just really great just to see like, Oh, like, Ben hanging out with all um, and building his little uh, shed in, in the in the forest and everyone just kind of messing around with each other and Finn Wolfhard just being 
just incredible as usual. Um, and all that stuff, all the kids stuff. Once again, it was just really, it was just really great. All right. I, I thought of another positive. Um, oh, let's the, hear it. <laughs> uh, the head spider was like pretty creepy. And when like all the legs start coming out of his head, uh, that, that was definitely the thing that grossed me out the most when like a spider leg emerges from his eye. Uh, so that that's a positive horror element. <laughs> yeah, that was really fun. But I immediately just thought of the thing because that's just like a very, yeah. like very clear homage uh, to the thing in that instance. But it was it was really fun because, I mean, they're playing with a little bit of CGI. So, yeah, you get to see like legs pop out and it's the head is maniacally laughing, too, which was really fun. Yeah, I, I really like that sequence as well. Um, is really really fun it, it's, like i said it's one of the what like i mentioned before it's one of the few extended sequences so they get a lot of they get a lot of stuff out of it and it, there's a there's a there's building and there's a story told within it where eddie is still scared to just he's frozen in the corner you really can't do anything and you get a little character building in there as well and it was i thought that was really really great yeah and i i think that was one of the the horror things that really worked for me i and I mentioned it kind of going into it, but I think this movie was much more along the lines of kind of action adventure than it was horror. Like the first one, um, you know, like this was a definite mission to go kill Pennywise. And I just think it, we, we lost uh, some of the tension there. Yeah. It kind of, it really turns into, um, I've actually heard this is a really interesting take on a lot of these conjuring and other Warner brothers movies where it's kind of like, it's kind of like a, a superhero movie, but like the supervillain isn't like opposed by like some benevolent like superhero force. So they just have crazy powers that they can do with. Um, that's kind of what Pennywise is in this movie. He just he just turns into a big spider thingy, um, which is falls in line with the TV movie where it's he's just, just this, like this weird stop, uh, stop motion spider. I mean, it's a little better this time around with the, the wonder, the wonders of uh, modern technology, but yeah, it just kind of feels like it's like, Oh, look at all these cool powers I can do. Like, like he turns like a Paul Bunyan statue into like sure. a thing, <laughs> which I thought was just one of the more like weird sequences where he's just like, I don't know. He just disappears and he shows up again and he's having fun messing with, um, Bill Hader, and then he's like, "Oh, I know your secret." He's like hinting at his affection for Eddie, and then he like just like leaves <laughs> with like without any like reason. It's like, "Oh, he's done. He's time to go mess with like another one of the characters, I guess." Um, <laughs> so yeah, very <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so unless you have anything else to add about it, which we've kind of come back to all our negatives again. Um, move <laughs> it's on. so tough it's so frustrating <laughs> i think we got three positives in there um yeah we tried I'm, I'm proud <laughs> it was don't, there don't was add us effort. on twitter guys <laughs> don't add us on twitter we tried our best <laughs> um so we'll move on to the venice film festival which has been uh really interesting to look at um there's a lot of controversial stuff coming out of it uh so the uh, guess it depends on who you are but the the big one would be joker winning the golden lion uh which is uh pretty astounding that a comic book movie won that at the venice film festival um but it kind of goes in line with everything we've heard about joker so far i've heard almost nothing but praise unfortunately i've also heard nothing but praise from all the twitter bots that haven't seen it yet but <laughs> that's nonetheless 
Yeah, it feels like it doesn't. It feels like Joker is going to be like the it movie that stirs a lot of conversation in a lot of different directions because it's, I mean, it's a gritty crime drama about white guy taking uh, his anger to the streets, which is very interesting. Um, but it's it's one of those things like yeah, we've we've seen a lot of talk already from just a lot of people who haven't seen the movie <laughs> so it's i mean in that res- in that respect i'm i'm gonna withhold a lot of my judgment until i actually see the damn thing when it comes out in the u.s in the first week of october um but it is really interesting to see like this was a bold move for warner brothers like how often do we see like these like big tentpole things like try to like make it in like the prestige world all these great festivals like <laughs> basically never like we don't you don't see Thor Ragnarok opening at TIFF. <laughs> um, so, like, this is a really, this is quite a gamble because of early reviews out of Venice weren't, like, great. Like, what does that do for its box office and, like, its possible claim later on? But people really seem to like it, uh, which is very fascinating. And I know a lot of other critics have their concerns about it. Um, uh, David Ehrlich from IndieWire has a really great review out that I encourage everyone to read. Um, but, yeah, it's... It's definitely, it looks like there's a, there's something building here, right? Like, it looks like Joker, like, I mean, it's winning this award. It might propel it to, like, an extended Oscar um, run uh, later this year and in the early into next year. It really feels like it's moving that way. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's kind of the trajectory it's on right now. Um, and I'm excited to see it. I'm not excited to live in a world that's seen it just because it's going to be <laughs> crazy. Uh, Twitter is going to be an awful place. Like it's already bad uh, with people just like all the, all the DC boys uh, praising the movie they haven't seen yet and, and bashing every other movie that's ever been made. So. Yeah, it's, I can feel, I can feel the wave of just, just stuff coming. Um, I just, I'm not really looking forward to that. I, I hope people can talk about this movie in a really um, articulate way, but who knows? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> that's very much to be determined. Um, so, yeah, I'm bracing myself for that because it's it's definitely going to be a whirlwind. Yeah, um, but fortunately, Joker wasn't the only thing uh, playing at the <laughs> Venice International Film Festival. Yikes. Um, so I know Ad Astro is one you've been looking forward to for a while. Um, the Laundromat is one that I'm excited for, and I've heard – uh, pretty decent reactions to uh, Steven Soderbergh's latest. And then uh, we'll get into the the big scandal coming out of it as well. But uh, anything you want to add on uh, the other films that played? I am I am so pumped for Ad Astra now. Um, I was really intrigued. Uh, I mean, I've mentioned this on a few other pods as well. But like this, this movie was kind of weird. Like it shifted release dates multiple times, got pushed back. And you kind of wondered with like a... A September release you can like we wondered like what is this like is this going to be like a predator situation from last year where it's just a mess of a thing that they just tried to dump right before like the movie season starts to get starts to heat up again in October but I mean then re- reviews were kind of like astoundingly good and <laughs> out of Venice um and so uh, I'm my expectations like shot through the roof now I really can't wait for that so yeah it's that's uh, very very encouraging yeah, I'm excited for it too, and I'm glad it's it's getting uh, a good recognition, good reviews, because I was kind of in the same boat, just not really sure what to make of it. 
um, you know, it does have an extremely interesting premise. And I mean, you've got Tommy Lee Jones playing Brad Pitt's dad. So, I mean, you couldn't really ask for anything better casting wise. Um, and yeah, that's a, uh, that's Venice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, the other big scandal is <laughs> uh, Roman Polanski uh, placing and actually competing in the Venice International Film Festival. Um, and I'll let you, I'll let you, uh, take the lead on that one. Yeah, it's a bit of a sticky situation here. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's really tough. I mean, we all know Roman Polanski's history at this point. I mean, it's it's probably not worth it to relitigate it there. It's just, it's it's messy. It's ongoing. Uh, it's tough. Um, but I'm, he's been in France for for many many years. He's still making movies every single year. I mean, The Pianist was like probably his last major film that came over to the u.s because a lot of his films uh because of his uh, legal issues just don't ever make it over to the u.s for theatrical release i mean just for obvious reasons just people don't want to get involved but but he's been making films for a while and his latest film an officer and a spy is it finished second behind uh the joker so their first and second uh place uh films there there's just a they're, they're a rich text of discussion and both negatively and positively. Um, but it gets even murkier when you find out that, that, um, Polanski's movie is about the Dreyfus affair, which is probably one of the more infamous French, uh, legal disputes like ever. Um, so basically, um, uh, it's kind of like this movie is kind of playing out like a, as a spotlight type of, um, play where it's, Oh, this person figures out that, um, that Alfred Dreyfus was wrongly accused of a crime of a crime and he was sentenced to just a lot of jail time. And it's about exposing the truth and kind of liberating the wrongly convicted there. And so there's some kind of just some weird parallels to Roman Polanski in general uh, with just that plot. So yeah, it's, I'm not really looking forward to talking about this movie for the next couple of months either. Cause I mean, the, the Oscars made changes to their foreign language um, category. It's now the international, uh, I think it's the international film, best international film. And they extended it to 10 uh, nominees, which is really cool, just for just the buzz for these movies uh, from all around the world. But I, I imagine like this movie will probably be, probably be France's entrant into the Oscars this year, which just makes it even more sticky because Roman Polanski was disavowed from the Oscars from the Academy last year. So, um, yeah, it's a uh, Venice is started out the, uh, the festival circuit and the fall season with a bang, uh, both, I guess, positively and then in a lot of ways negatively. So there's a lot of things to monitor, even as like TIFF kind of gets, um, underway and other AFI fest and everything and a bunch of other movies have to come out. So, um, yeah. And we don't eat, we're not even at the point where the Oscars are looking for a host yet <laughs> for this year. So there's a, it feels like there's going to be a lot of different storylines moving into this year, which is both good and bad. Yeah. I mean, we're literally at the beginning of award season <laughs> in terms of, uh, movies that are actually going to make it to the Oscars <laughs> and, uh, what a way to start. <laughs> Yeah, it's just cut to us 
call like four months from now just pulling our hair out and just going through existential crises on <laughs> on our pod here um, this is gonna be what's all let's all strap in because uh, there's gonna be a lot to discuss let's all um i hope everyone can keep a level head to discuss all these things but yeah it's gonna be there's gonna be a quite a shitstorm in some areas and in other areas um who knows so um yeah it's let's all get ready folks <laughs> yeah and i mean if Disney has their way again. This will be the first year we have two comic book movies nominated for Best Picture <laughs> between Endgame and Joker. And I don't even want to imagine the internet um, if, if that becomes a thing. <laughs> it's just, yeah, the, it's just more and more like, I mean, last year was kind of unprecedented with all like the bad press surrounding the Oscars. But we're getting it once again. Like there's just going to be a lot of stuff going on. So I'm curious to see... Um, I mean, we'll see when the Joker uh, releases on October 4th here in the U.S. We'll kind of see how that um, kind of discussion turns out. But, yeah, there's going to be many, many different um, things to look at here. And, um, yeah, it's it's just – it's never dull. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> uh, <but> yeah, so <laughs> – that kind of wraps up everything with the box office uh, going on with it chapter two, as well as the uh, Venice uh, uh, controversies. And I'm sure we'll be getting into more of those just as we get into more of the award season, as we have uh, some other festivals coming up, it is just starting to get a, it's a, it's a busy and not busy uh, time at the box office because we just have, Obviously, our, our blockbuster season is gone, but more of the artsy and kind of obscure or smaller movies are coming out of the woodwork. Um, the stuff that, that tends to be talked about for a long time is coming up on us, so we're, we're getting pretty close. Yeah, really fun. It's In a lot of ways, it's really fun, and I hope that kind of overshadows a lot of the negative stuff that we've kind of discussed and will probably come to our attention in the in the few months but it's this is going to be a very very interesting and possibly unprecedented award season um there's going to be a lot of different things going on with it i'm really i'm really fascinated to see how it all shakes out and we'll be here to discuss it all yeah <laughs> so we'll be here next week talking about the goldfinch and i'm assuming it chapter two again Thanks for listening to this episode of the Movie Bubble Podcast. Remember, you can always check us out online at moviebubblereviews.com, and we'll be back next week talking about the opening weekend for The Goldfinch.